Hi and welcome to the Village Traders Podcast. I'm your host, Njabul Ntabande. This podcast is aimed at helping you and experienced traders navigate the markets and learn from other traders. This is episode number three. My guest today is Garth McKenzie. Garth started trading as a teenager and has been trading for over two decades. He's the founder of TradersCorner.co.za, an online platform that provides DIY traders with trading education and analysis. He was the host of a popular TV show on Business Day TV, Traders Corner, where he publicly traded for over a decade and successfully so. Please enjoy our conversation. Welcome, welcome to the show, Goth. Um, thank you for sparing us your time. Yeah, hi, Njabula. It's, it's a pleasure. Nice to be able to talk to you. Thanks for the opportunity. Cool. Yeah, let's get right into it. Um, what got you into trading in the first place? What was the attraction into, into trading? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So it, it kind of goes back to when I was at school. Uh, I was at Parktown Boys High School. And uh, our big rivals on the cricket field and on the rugby field were King Edwards and St. John's. And if you know King Edwards or St. John's, they're both in Houghton. And you need to drive through, obviously, Houghton to get there. And one Saturday morning, my dad was taking me to play cricket against King Edwards. And we drove through Houghton and you see all these big mansions on either side of the street. And I just said to my dad, you know, what do these people do to live in a fancy neighborhood like this? And he, he said, oh, they're probably all just stockbrokers. And it was really just a throwaway line. I don't think he intended it to be anything more than that. But I said, oh, I said, well, then what does a stockbroker do? Uh, and he explained to me how stockbrokers trade shares and you can own a, a, a share in a company. And he named a couple of well-known companies and uh, said, you know, you could own a piece of the company. Every year they declare a dividend and you can get your share of the profits and the share price is listed on the on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange and the price moves up and down and you can buy the shares and sell the shares and we can make money doing that. And it, it really tweaked my interest and I asked a few more questions and he said, well, you know, obviously you're interested in this. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll bring the newspaper home from school, uh, from work rather, every evening and we can sit around the dining room table and mock trade with a couple of shares. Uh, so I said, yeah, that's cool. It sounds great. I mean, this was now 1994. So it was, I was in standard seven at the time and it was before online share trading. So if you wanted to know what the share prices were, you really needed to wait for tomorrow morning's newspaper or alternatively phone your stockbroker on the phone. And uh, anyhow, we, we picked out a handful of shares in the newspaper and we started to follow them and we mock traded with a, a fictitious 100,000 Rand portfolio. And it did well. Every evening, my dad and I would sit around the dining room table and uh, uh, look at the share prices. We would hand draw graphs of each of the shares and see how they moved up and down. And we we traded with our play play money. And we actually did very well with it. Uh, and and that got to me to the point where eventually, by the age of sixteen, I said to him, I'd actually like to trade for real. And uh, we opened a stockbroking account in my name. I think he must have stood surety. I was still a minor, obviously, at the time. And um, and I started to trade. And, yeah, I mean, I know you've got other questions for me, which I won't get, let the cat out the bag. But, <laughs> you know, let me just precede it by saying that it wasn't a, a very fruitful experience for the first couple of years after that. Well, that's a, that's a very interesting story to, 
um, to here. Um, so you're basically trading a demo account just on, on paper. It must have been a daunting process. Yeah, it was, uh, but it was fun, you know, and we, we, as I say, we had graph paper, literally graph paper, and we would actually draw the graph and every evening we would sort of extend the line as the price moved around. And then of course you get to that point where you've reached the end of the graph paper and now you need to sticky tape another page onto the graph to carry on drawing the graph. So <laughs> it was very, very basic, but it was fun and we really enjoyed it. And it certainly that was what tweaked my interest and I think I, I, I count myself fortunate that I knew from a very young age that that was what I wanted to do with my life and I think if you know what you want to do with your life from an early stage that really helps because then it means you can just get on and do it um, not everyone is as fortunate as that I mean I know a lot of people even friends of mine at current age of, of 40 45 who still don't really know what they want to do with their life but they you know they, they're doing something but they're not necessarily passionate about it so I think if you are if you find something that you're passionate about early in life and you decide to pursue it, you can count yourself lucky. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. And when you moved, when you, when you, when you moved the transition from paper trading to actual trading, how big or small was the account and how long did it take you to um, basically clean that account? Well, yeah, so I started at the age of 16. I had about 3000 Rand that I'd managed to save up from working on weekends and school holidays I had a, a casual job um, in a store called Stacks, which I think is still around. And the Stacks sells uh, all sorts of things. But they, I worked in the office equipment department. We sold fax machines and telephones and, and um, computers and printers and stuff like that. So I had a casual job on the weekends doing that. And then in the school holidays, also, I used to work there. So I made a bit of money on the side doing that. And, um, and I had 3,000 Rand saved up. So I put all of that money into my trading account and started to trade with it. And I very, very quickly learned that it's just not enough money to trade with for, for a variety of reasons. First reason being that uh, your transaction costs will just kill you. In, and in those days, transaction costs were much higher than what they are now. So it was a very, very, um, it was unsuccessful right from the beginning because the position sizes I was trading were just far too small to be ever ever able to even cover the transaction costs that I was paying. Um, and the second thing is then when you trade with real money, the psychological aspect is totally different to when you're trading with play play money. And I quickly learned that. And I made every mistake in the book and I made every mistake in the book a number of times. I was a slow learner. And you asked me how long it took to, to clean up or wipe out that account. I can't even tell you, but it, because it was just a, a an ongoing sort of pursuit of trying to do something, but seeing the account reducing in value, and then I would work on weekends and school holidays again and earn a bit more money, and then put it, put it into my trading account, recharge it, and try again, and then lose more. So it was like a bottomless pit that I kept on throwing money into. Um, I, I did write down all my trades, and I, I you know monitored everything that I was doing. And I can tell you that at, at, at the age of 22, when I just finished varsity, I went back and I worked out all my trades and looked at everything I'd done in the, what was then six years since I'd started trading. And I'd lost about 80,000 Rand over the time, which in those days was enough to buy a Golf GTI brand new out the box. 
So, you know, when you're a, when you're a young guy and you know that you could have had a golf GTR brand new, but you don't because you lost all your money in the stock market, it's uh, quite a bitter pill to swallow. And I can also tell you the the reason why it was only a golf GTI and not, you know, a Rolls Royce or a, or a BMW seven series was just because I didn't have enough money to lose. And all I had was that, that 80 odd thousand rand over those years. And that effectively lost as much as I could have during that time. (laughs) So it wasn't a very good start for me. Uh, And it took a long time before I started to see the light in terms of making any uh, progress with my trading. Yeah. Your score fees in, 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 in the trading world was very, very high considering the time. Because even in today, yes, that's right. is a lot of money. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I suppose if you convert it back to the price of buying a car, um, so what would it, I don't know what a Golf GTI costs in South Africa now, but I would guess over half a million rand. Yeah, um, about. So, so you know, so so like for like, yeah, it's a fairly substantial chunk of money that I lost. Yeah, um, you you ran you ran a, a very successful TV show uh, on Business Day TV, The Traders Corner. And um, you were trading with, with everyone looking at you and, and, and seeing your mistakes and, and, and the like. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was uh, checking at the numbers that you posted within the, uh, within the 10-year period, and they were very, very impressive. You did about uh, 27%, um, 27% on average per year, um, which is even more impressive considering that you were restarting every year. You were starting with the account back from, from scratch every year. What would you say was the biggest contributor to the success of you of you of the show and, and, and of you trading that successfully on the show? Yeah, so it was it was really a number of things, but I think the one most important and this if I had to single it out, it was the risk management and the fact that I stuck to the stop losses very, very religiously. Um, I always went into every trade knowing where my stop loss would be and how much I would potentially stand to lose on each trade. And if I was wrong and I got stopped out, uh, I would lose no more than 2%. And I was fortunate that I, throughout the 10-year period that I did that TV show, um, I always was religious. With every single trade, I, I was religious about sticking to the stop losses. So all the losses were kept contained and kept to less than 2% of the of the capital and i really think that was the, the the single most important and the single driving force behind why that show was successful you know they say that there's four outcomes to every trade four possible outcomes there's a a small winner or a big winner um a small winner uh, sorry small loser or a big loser and as long as you avoid the big loser you should be fine in trading if, you, if you're coming out and you're making small losses, that's fine. That's part of trading and it's natural process of trading. Um, and obviously, then some of your winners are going to be small, but you're also going to find that you make good money on a couple of your winners. And those are your, your big winners. And really, when I look back at it over the years on the TV show, every year, the bulk of the year's performance was probably really attributed to only three or four trades in the year. The rest of it was you know, a couple of small winners that really didn't move the needle and then a whole bunch of small losses that also didn't move the needle. But you know, if I had to single it out, there really were a minority of the trades actually that contributed to the performance. But it was the case that you run your winners and you cut your losers quickly. And I did that successfully for 10 years. And I really believe in, in every fiber of my being that that was what made the show successful over the years more than anything else. 
you know, with with every successful trader that I've that I've spoken to on the show or otherwise, they've always said the exact same thing that you know, if you contain your risk to be small enough, you live to fight another day. That's so true. Uh, it's so so true. You know, you you you've got to keep your losses small in this business. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's the the two percent rule is the one that I subscribe to. So you never lose more than two percent of your capital, and and trading on the TV show, the the Traders Corner TV show, as I did, that meant that I, I'd start every year with two hundred and fifty thousand rand, and it effectively meant that no trade would ever lose me more than five thousand rand. So that was fine, but you know, if you're trading with bigger capital, um, I find now, and as I get older, I actually I risk even less than that. With my own trading, I'm often risking less than one percent of my trading capital on a single trade, and I suppose that also just comes with having a bigger capital amount to play with, and um, and therefore also the psychological uh, association with the loss being a bigger nominal value if if it's one percent or two percent. Um, and and also it's just I suppose as you get older and wiser I don't really want the stress in my life so keeping the risk small allows me to sleep at night. Yeah, and I loved your your analogy with the, with uh, with cricket that uh, in in trading you often take singles and I, f- I found that um, it's enough that cut that cut both ways so you you allow yourself to take singles and you don't allow um, losers to take more than singles against you as well. And then occasionally you get the six and the fours. That's right. So I love I love sporting analogies and comparing it to trading. And you're right, cricket is one of my favorite things to compare it to. Um, I used to play cricket at school and then club cricket after school. And I, I thought about that. You know, there's a comparison between being a batsman at the, out in the middle of the field and being a trader. And if you're a batsman out, you know, in the middle of the field, your main priority is not to go out. Your second priority is to try and score some runs if you're a trader your number one priority is also not to go out i.e don't lose all your money um, and then your second priority is to actually try and make some profits but you can't take care of priority number two if you haven't taken care of priority number one and yes you know each each day in the stock market is like the ball being bowled at you down the pitch and if it's a really good ball and it's pitched in the right length, then, you know, you, you need to block that ball and just not, you know, that it's going to be a dot ball. Um, and that's equivalent to a day in the market where you just say, well, there's nothing to do. I'm not convinced enough of anything. Therefore, I'm doing nothing today. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you don't have to trade all the time. You don't have to try and, you know, um, make a trade every single day. You trade when the opportunities present themselves. And to bring it back to the cricket analogy, it's the same thing. You know, you're not going to try and hit every ball for a four or a six. If it's a good ball, you're going to block it, and that's a dot ball. But if it's a loose ball, uh, you try and score some runs off it. And if it's a very loose ball, you smash it out the park. And every now and again, the market will throw you a loose ball that you can smash out the park. But if you try and hit every ball out the park as a cricketer or as a trader, you're going to lose all your – you know, you're going to go out soon enough. As a cricketer, you're either going to be bowled or you're going to be caught. Um, and as a trader, you're going to get one wrong, which goes spectacularly wrong if you're trying to always you know, hit it out the park, i.e. make millions off every trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of my favorite things about about the show was that you were public about your losses as well. You didn't just show the winners. 
you you also showed the losses, which also you know said to me if the professionals can lose money, um, I will lose money as well. But uh, to your point that your losses were contained, did did trading in public scare you? And what um, what has that uh, uh, process taught you? Yeah, so it was it was scary, and especially in the early years, it was quite scary because I had no track record at that stage, uh, no public track record really. Um, but I I don't know, maybe I'm brave or stupid. Sometimes there's a fine line between the two. But uh, but but I. I looked at what was happening in the financial media at that stage. And I thought, you know, all of what you saw on what was then Summit TV, it eventually became Business Day TV and um, Bloomberg and CNBC. You know, all of this stuff, the financial media was mostly focusing on more medium to longer term investing type of stuff. Nobody was really catering to short term traders. And I thought there was a gap in the market to do that. So I thought there was an opportunity to create a TV show that would allow me to talk to short-term traders and it would create good content for the channel. And it would also be educational for those who were actually trying to trade the market on a short-term basis and they weren't just long-term investors. So I, I took the idea to Summit TV and they liked it. We tweaked it a bit and worked backwards and forwards. And the bottom line was that I would put up the funding. So I put up 250,000 Rand of my own money every year. And I started trading throughout the year. And it was warts and all. So yes, I had to be honest. Every week I had to go back on the show and report back on what had happened the previous week. And um, there were winning trades, but there were obviously a lot of losing trades as well. And I had to report back on all of them. And part of the thinking and why I chose to do it that way was that I felt, you know, there's a lot of talking heads in the financial media who make calls and recommend shares and what have you. And then if it doesn't work out, you never hear from that. You never hear about that again. It just kind of quietly gets swept under the rug. And I wanted to be accountable. I, I wanted to have to be that guy that goes back and says, hey, listen, I told you last week to do this and it didn't work out. And therefore we lost some money. And we, this is how much money we lost. And I wanted it to be honest um, and, and, and real. And I think that that was probably one of the things that made the show very credible was that it, it was real. Yeah, and it was very honest as well. I just really wanted it to be real. You know, I, I wanted the show to be real. I wanted it to be, to portray, that's what, I, I wanted it to portray trading in a realistic light and not in some glamorous way. Because that's, that's where I was going with the point is that I think trading is very often um, mystified in this, it's, it's sort of, glamorized in the way that you look at an advert for trading and we've all seen these things on the internet you see the, the you know some forex firm advertising and there's you know some dude with a fancy pair of sunglasses and a hot girl on his arm and a ferrari or a boat or a yacht or an airplane or a helicopter behind him you know and it's like yeah you can come and trade and there's this mystique that that's what being a trader is all about, that you've got this glamorous lifestyle. And in fact, it's not the truth. It's very, very, that's maybe some traders get that right, but that's an extremely small minority. The vast majority of people that try to trade really struggle. And, and all of the traders that I know who I consider to be pretty successful are actually quite humble people. They're not flying around in helicopters and driving Ferraris. A lot of them are just, you know, live a normal life and they, and they kind of do well, but humble and and i think that was the point i wanted to make that tv show real uh to portray a realistic light and not to glamorize it more than what it really is yeah yeah 
that was my, my, my most favorite part of the show since I caught it in 2016 to until, until its end. How did you think of risk management um, back in the days when you, when you first started out and how, how, how does it contrast with how you think of risk management today? Well, if I go back to my early years as a trader, I don't think I actually had any risk management at all because I never really thought about the risks. I, only, I always only thought about the upside. And I, so I would trade not thinking that I was going to lose because it didn't, it, I didn't want to lose. <laughs> so, so, you know, I had no risk management in the early days. And that's probably why my early years were so fraught with problems because I, I, I just had no stop losses. I would average down and add to losing trades and I would make all the, fa- all the, the, the famous mistakes that you should make as a trader. So, you know, it only sort of occurred to me later on in my career to try and formulate some sort of a position sizing methodology to, um, to follow. And it really, I, th- I think the biggest revelation for me in that respect was a course that I did with Dr. David Paul who is a reasonably well-known educator and trader in South Africa and in London. And he ran a boot camp, which was a, a weekend trading course, which I went on. And that was back in about 2006, I think. And it was an absolutely mind-blowing experience because he taught me things that I'd never, ever considered in trading. And one of them was risk management and money management. And his thing was, you know, you never lose more than 2% of your capital and you structure your position size in such a way that when it goes wrong and you have a stop loss, the amount of money that you lose is no more than 2%. And then he explained how if you consistently do that right and you do it over and over and over and over again, you can make good money uh, without ever having to really suffer any major drawdowns. And that was a huge breakthrough for me in terms of my thinking and my approach to risk management. And it's still very much the approach that I apply to my trading today. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I also watch a lot of his content on YouTube as well. And he, when he talks about um, uh, risk to reward ratios and risk management and money management, it is often said that if you, if you're risking no more than 2%, it will take you um, 50 trades in a row uh, 50 losing trades in a row to take you out of the market. And then I thought I did a thought experiment on that on an Excel spreadsheet. And as it turns out, it, it took even much longer than 50, 50 trades in a row because you're scaling down on um, with each and every trade, meaning it will take upwards of 500, um, 500 trades in a row. And if, you, if you're having 500, trades in, 500 losing trades in a row, you're looking at the chart in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look, even if you really tried your best, I think you couldn't have that many losers in a row. Some of them you would just be, <laughs> you would get them right by accident. <laughs> but yeah. you're right. I mean, that's correct. You, 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 as your account becomes smaller, then that 2% figure, the notional amount of that 2% becomes smaller. Uh, and so you're right. It's, it'll take you a lot more than 50 trades to lose all of your money. Um, and But the contrary or the, the, the other side, to that is that if you are making money on your winners and you're making two or three times more on your winning trades than what you lose on your losing trades, you should put that into a spreadsheet and then see the potential for exponential growth as well. 
And that becomes, that's really where it gets interesting because, you know, a lot of the time people think if you're just risking 2% on each trade that you're not going to really be able to move the needle much. But that's not the case because if, you, if you're stringing together a couple of winning trades now and again, and on your winners, you're making two or three or four times more on those winners than what you lose on your losers. Then as your account becomes bigger, so that 2% nominal value of the risk that you assume also becomes bigger, which means your, your winners can become bigger. So it works both ways. As much as you, you scale down when your account is going the wrong way, you scale up when things are going the right way. And that is really the secret to success as a trader. And that's where you can begin to compound your returns and make spectacular profits just through that compounding, but without actually increasing your risk. So it works both ways. As much as you, you scale down when your account is going the wrong way, you scale up when things are going the right way. And that is really the secret to success as a trader. And that's where you can begin to compound your returns and make spectacular profits just through that compounding, but without actually increasing your risk in the world get get some trades wrong and i mean if you're getting if you're getting 60 percent of your trades right you can probably count yourself as amongst the best traders in the world um and that obviously implies that you're getting 40 percent of your trades wrong as well the key yeah. is that on those 40 percent that you're getting wrong you don't want to lose too much money keep your losses contained on those 40 percent of the losers and then on the 60 odd percent winning trades make sure that you're maximizing your gains there yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, after having trading for about three years now and losing money all the way, I think that has been the one thing that if had I changed that, that aspect of the trading, uh, I still would be alive as far as trading is concerned. It's so true. And what I've often said to people on, on my high probability trading course that I, that I do I say to them, take all of your trades that you've done in the years and take away all your, look at all your losing trades. And if you were to take each of those losing trades and just contain each of them to 2% of your capital instead of whatever you did actually lose, what would your account size look like? And it's, it's a very interesting exercise to do because you'll always find that if you just kept all of the losing trades contained to a small amount, then you, you, you would have a hugely different outcome. And you'd probably be quite successful. And I think that's where people need to just take a big step back and actually look at the bigger picture and realize that trading is not all about one trade and trying to make it big on one trade. Trading is about a whole lot of different trades all strung together and know that each trade is independent of, each, of all of the other trades and that some will be winners and some will be losers. But the point is that you know, the losers must be kept small and the winners, you need to try and make sure that you're making more on the winners than what you're losing on the losers. So on, 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 the, on, on your show, you were trading um, uh, largely CFDs and futures in, in the equity space. How did you manage single event risk? Because um, those, those instruments are susceptible to single event risk, such as Steinhoff and the like. Yes, that's right. You are susceptible to event risk. But again, I manage the risk in the same way as what I've mentioned. So I would look at every trade and say I'm not willing to lose more than 2% of my money on an individual trade. So let's just look at a very sort of a simple example with round numbers. So let's say we had a share that is trading at 100 Rand and I had a stop loss at 95 Rand. That would mean my my risk per share is five rand per share and then if i was trading with two hundred and fifty thousand rand which i was 
my 2% risk would allow me to lose 5,000 Rand on an individual trade. So what you then do is you take the capital that you're willing to lose, which is the 5,000 Rand, and you divide it by the risk per share, which in this case was the, the 5 Rand per share that I mentioned. So take 5,000 Rand, divide it by 5 Rand, and that gives you your number which is a thousand shares in, in that case. So I would then trade a thousand shares based on that, um, on, 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 on that situation or on that scenario. But now you're right, when you talk about single event risk, um, that can sometimes happen overnight where you get a big gap and the share price opens down 10 or 20 or 25%. And there have been a number of those over the last couple of years. You, you mentioned Steinhoff. Um, there's stacks of other ones. We've had Sassel recently, which has been a disaster uh, on the way down. We've had a whole bunch of others as well. The The thing is that what I've always found is that if you're applying that 2% risk rule, like I've explained, and the share price gaps down through your stop loss, you know, you might end up, well, you will end up losing more than the 2%, but it might become, instead of 2%, Perhaps you can still contain it to six or seven or eight percent in in a in a bad scenario, and the reality is that okay, that's a nasty knock to take, but it's not catastrophic. It's it's certainly not a knockout punch. So, you know those and and those types of things unfortunately will happen from time to time. If you're wanting to avoid single event risk, then you probably need to you know avoid single stocks altogether and just focus on indices because there you're getting far more diversified uh, exposure to the market and you're not going to really be as big of a victim to those huge overnight gaps like you could be on a single stock. Um, but that's really how I, I, I approached it. And I, I did have a couple of those situations over the years with the TV show where I'd end up losing a bit more than my 2% that I was willing to lose. And it, I just had to go back and say, well, it is what it is, right? So, you know, sometimes things gap through your stop loss and you have no control over that but you just got to do the best that you can to contain the situation and just to that point you know i think what maybe people listening to this podcast need to also think about and it's something i've noticed with a lot of retail traders over the years is they'll end up in a situation like that where they're now in a, in a position in a stock they were hoping to lose you know only a certain amount if it went wrong and all of a sudden overnight they're losing a whole lot more now the, what I've noticed with many people is they'll then try to get smart. They'll try and average down or yeah, build their position up and try and get the price, the average price lower. And all you're doing then is actually creating bigger problems for yourself. When something's not working, just get out. Take the hit and get out and move on. Um, I also love the saying that you, you know, if you've got a, a leak in your boat, you don't go and drill another hole to let the water out, right? So you plug up the hole that's causing the problem. And, and that's the thing. So don't make your problems bigger. Uh, if you've got a situation where you're in a, in a bad spot, you're losing money, it's not working. Just close out the trade. Cut the risk out altogether. Don't go on and try and take additional risk on and try and fix it by taking on extra risk because invariably that does not work and you're going to just lose more money. Yeah, they always say rather add on your winners than adding on your losers. So right, that's how you make good money as a trader. You add to your winning trades and, you know, because then clearly it means that you've got something right. And if it's working for you and you're on the winning side, then yeah, by all means, add to it. But if it's not working, don't add to a losing trade because that is just a sure way to go to the poor house. 
Yeah. So when 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 you were adding, if you add um, uh, to a winning trade with 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 respect to the two percent, is it two percent of now the equity or the the balance? Well, it's it's the balance. So what I'll do invariably, if you if you're in a trade where you're wanting to add to it, and by the way, this applies more to medium term trades than to short term trades. I find. Um, when it comes to short-term trades, I generally take a position and I'll stick to it with one position and then close it up and it reaches my profit. Uh, I won't add to a winner in the case of a very short-term trade. But when it comes to a more medium-term trade where you're looking to try and catch a cycle or you're looking to hold for six months or 12 months, as the case might be, then you can add to your winning trades. But what you need to do then is once you can see that you're on the right side of the trade, then you move your stop loss up to uh, with your initial lit portion of the trade, move your stop loss up to a break even level. So essentially, you've then got no risk on that part of the trade. You can then add another layer to that trade by making the trade bigger and you effectively apply a new stop loss to the second leg of the trade. Um, in addition to knowing that your first leg of the trade now has no risk on it at all. And by doing that, you're increasing your position size. So you're adding to your winner, but you're not increasing your risk. You're keeping your risk contained to whatever the original figure was. And that's important. And that's how you can really make it big as a trader. Um, the process is called, is called pyramiding. And it's like the, like the name of a pyramid would suggest. You start with a big base. That's your initial position. And then you add layers to that trade. But every layer that you add on the way up, you're actually adding a slightly smaller position um, compared to what your base position was. And that's the, that's the process of pyramiding, which really successful traders use to try and compound their returns and make big money ultimately. So with, with, uh, as, as, as we're about to wrap up now, um, with uh, with the the pandemic, people losing their jobs and stuff. What advice do you have for someone that that's looking at trading as an attractive way of earning an income um, for the near future? I, uh, my answer to that is actually just don't don't do it. If you've lost your job um, and you you now think that you're going to suddenly take up trading to replace your income, I can promise you it's you, it's not going to work. Um, it's like anything in life, you know, you need to put a lot of time and effort into it to get successful at it. There's so many really important fundamental and foundational aspects that you need to have in place if you want to trade successfully. Um, and I'll, get, I'll list a couple of those. I mean, I think first thing first, you need to have strong equity behind you. In other words, you need to have decent money, decent capital behind you. Um, I think ideally you need to be debt free so that you're not paying off a bond or mortgage or a car payments and things like that every month. You need to have a cost of living that is very well contained. And then in addition to that, you obviously need to have a substantial amount of trading capital behind your name. And, um, and then of course you need the experience as well. So you, and, and it takes years and years of, of, of practice to get that experience. I subscribe to Malcolm Gladwell's rule and he wrote the book called Outliers. And what he, he said in that book is that after interviewing many, many successful people from different walks of life, different careers, be they traders or computer programmers or professional poker players or professional musicians or whatever, all of them had one thing in common. They had put lots and lots of time and specifically talks about the 10,000 hours rule. So he says, you know, to get good and proficient at anything, you need to have invested at least 10,000 hours of your time into it. And trading is no different. You know, so I, I 
see people coming all the time, people that, and, and more so now, as you say, because of the, the virus and the pandemic and people losing their jobs. Suddenly now people think, gee, I'm going to start trading because that's a good way to make some money. Um, what they don't realize is that it's more likely going to be a quick way to lose a lot, a lot of money. It takes time. It takes practice. It takes a lot of effort to get there, to get to that level of experience and that level of proficiency. So I would very much caution people against thinking that you now just suddenly take up trading because you've lost your job. Um, rather don't do that. But if you do want to take up trading and you want to uh, you know, make a career of it, then take it seriously and start slowly and pull, put those foundational aspects in place that I spoke about. So you know, start trading small. If you don't even have a lot of money, start trading with a demo account uh, and, and play, play money, kind of like I did in my early years. Learn the market, learn the dynamics of the market. And then as you feel comfortable, put a little bit of money in and take small positions and and, and manage your risk very, very carefully and do it on the side. So do it as a, as a sideline, sort of almost you want to call it a side hustle or a side, side hobby if you want to call it that. Um, and if you, can, if you feel that you're becoming good at it, then put a bit more money in and add to, your, add to your trading account, get the position sizes a bit bigger and so on. But, you know, I, I really firmly believe that anyone that wants to take this up needs to treat the first couple of years as education. And know that you're not going to be successful from the outset. It's going to take years and years of practice and effort and probably quite a lot of school fees before you become proficient as a trader. So, you know, take it seriously and treat it as, a, as, as seriously as it should be. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and people need to realize that going into trading. And, it's, but, and certainly it's not something that people should be doing if they've lost their job and they, they feel like they need to do something to try and replace their income. Rather go and try and find another job or, or, or do something else or start another business where you can kind of control what you're doing. But trading the markets is not easy. It's one of the hardest things that you'll ever try and do. And, and if you think that you're going to come at it with, from a point of view of having just lost your job and now suddenly the markets are going to be kind to you, uh, unfortunately, I've got bad news. Yeah. And what, what are your trading do's, or don'ts, uh, do's and don'ts for, for traders? So, yeah, I mean, do, um, do, do things like some important stuff. Just try, try and have discipline. In your life in general, uh, you know, I find that people that have discipline in life also have discipline as traders. Discipline is very, very important in, in terms of trading. So, you know, create some sort of a routine where you do your analysis, look at charts, read the news, look at what's going on in the market. Have a routine, have some sort of structure to that. I think that's important. Um, also, manage your headspace and manage your mindset. You know, it's, it's a funny thing, but if you're positive about trading and you feel positive about it, you're often more likely to have positive results. So live a healthy lifestyle, live a happy lifestyle. If you're happy and healthy and you, you're confident, you're probably going to do better as a trader than if you're scared and fearful and negative all the time. So those are some sort of things to, to consider in terms of the do's. Also, do read. Read books. There's a lot of great trading books out there that have been written. Read them. Get as much knowledge into your head as you possibly can. Um, manage your risk, as I said before, manage your risk. That's very, very important to do that. Uh, size your trades correctly and know that uh, always know upfront what you might potentially stand to lose with every single trade. I think those are some of the, the important 
do's. And then don't, um, don't average down, don't add to losing trades, don't trade too big, because trading too big is, you know, you can lose a lot of money doing that. Don't ignore your stop losses. And, and yeah, I mean, don't just don't think this is easy, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> is the lesson, really. Um, there's lots of other don'ts, but focus on, on, on the do's that, uh, that I spoke about. Um, lastly, please give us your top five books that and what have each taught you. Yeah, okay. So I've, I've, before the interview, I made a list because uh, I've got so many books that I could recommend and I've read lots of trading books. A lot of them are very, very good, but I'll, I'll give you these five. Um, so my favorite by far and away is Mark Douglas's books and he wrote, he wrote two of them. So the first one is called Trading in the Zone and the second one is called The Disciplined Trader. And there's quite a lot of overlap between the two books, but from a psychological point of view, I've never read a book that nails trading as accurately as what this guy's done in these books. Um, unfortunately, Mark Douglas passed away, I think, two or three years ago. But he's a legend in the market with these books that he wrote. Um, those books I try and reread every year. So I've read, those, I've read them a number of times over the years. But I love to reread them because I find that they focus my brain in terms of getting my head around the psychology of trading. Um, and that's, that's critical. Now, there's not, I don't think there's a single chart or diagram in the books, actually. It's all about trading psychology and being in the right mind space, in the right head space. And trading is probably 80% psychology and 20% methodology. So, so focusing on the psychological aspects of trading is very important. And those two books get, get that right. The other ones are um, the books by, Mark, by Jack Schrager called Market Wizards. And they're quite old books. I mean, it's this whole series of books that he's written over the years. The first one was called Market Wizards. Then there was New Market Wizards. And then there's been Stock Market Wizards. And the one that I've got in my cupboard right now that I'm looking at is one called Hedge Fund Market Wizards. So he's interviewed a whole bunch of successful traders over the years. And and these books are fascinating to read because they tell that it's, you know, raw experience of traders who are doing this. And I found those books very, very interesting to read. So try to get your hand on, on the Market Wizards books. Then there was a book called Pitbull, which is written by Marty Schwartz, which I really, really enjoyed. It's a long time ago that I read it, and I don't even have the book anymore. I think I must have given it to somebody or probably lent it to somebody and never got it back. And, uh, but that is a book about trading in the, in the futures pits in Chicago and really great insights from that book as well. And then one that I've just very recently read, well, I actually listened to it as an audio book. It's also an old book, but it, great principles is called How I Made $2 Million in the Stock Market. And it's by a guy called Nicholas Davis. Um, it's quite short. I think the audio book was only five or six hours long. And I listened to it while I was at gym or while I was on the train heading into London a few times. But fascinating insights into how he traded and he was very much a price action trader. He knew nothing about the fundamentals of the companies that he was trading. He just looked at the chart patterns and he could see good trading action and bad trading action. And he followed, he followed whatever the trading action was doing. That was a really interesting book, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading. And I suspect that's another one that I'll probably want to listen to again at some stage because the lessons there were basic, but really, really important lessons. Cool, cool. Um, uh, Trading in the Zone by Mark Douglas have been uh, a consistent uh, recommendation from everyone that has been in the show so far. 
I'm and sure it is. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I know I've, I've also done a podcast series with traders like what you're doing. And it's strange. That book also just keeps coming up over and over again. And I think because no one, no trader that I've ever read has nailed the psychological aspect of trading as accurately as what Mark Douglas managed to do. Yeah. Yeah. I've been listening to, to, to it um, uh, at the minute for, I think I've read it, I've listened to it three times already and I'm just not getting tired of it. And at, at every listen, because um, it's very hard to find the physical copy of it. Um, even before the, the, the lockdowns and stuff. Um, but I've been really enjoying it. And every time I listen to it, I, find I get something different. Um, and it's, it's less about how to trade more, how to think, and um, how to, to manage yourself as a trader. Yeah, that's right. And you're so right. I mean, I've, as I say, I've read it many times, probably 10 times or more. And it's weird. Every time I've read it, there's another little nugget of information that hits me and I sort of think, gee, I wonder how come I never really picked up on that before when I've read it on the previous occasions. And it's, it's just, it's so enlightening in terms of helping to get your mindset right and get, get your headspace right for trading. Yeah. Garth, thank you uh, for sparing us your time. I really enjoyed, hope I enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Um, lastly, before I let you go, how can people find you? Uh, yeah, well, it's a pleasure, Njabula. I'm only too happy to have been able to help. And thanks for the opportunity to be with you on this podcast. Um, how people can get hold of me, they can go to my website, traderscorner.co.za. And there's a contact form on the website. That's one way. Otherwise, you can also contact me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at traderscorner. And um, through that, you can contact me. You can either direct message me on Twitter or you can tweet me. And I'll, I'm always monitoring my, tweet, my Twitter feed so you can get a hold of me there as well. Yeah, we'll stick your contacts on, on the show notes as well, uh, as well as your, your book recommendation. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find links to the stuff mentioned in the show as well as the book recommendations on the show notes. Make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes by subscribing on the show. Please help us grow by giving us a rating on your podcast app and dropping us a review. Thank you. Check you next time on The Village Trader.